You're listening to a DM podcast. You know when you've been at a party, and I usually say, you know, it's a dud party, and it's 11 p.m. and you're thinking, I'm going to go. This is I don't know anyone, and I'll just finish this champagne and I'm out of here. And then someone stands next to you and says, you know, hey, how are you? And you just don't feel like chit chat. So you say something bold. I don't know for some reason. Maybe you say something like, I just got a diagnosis today, actually, that I might have cancer. And they say, me too. And you both get this shiver at the back of your neck. And you end up talking and having a really frank, deep conversation. And everyone at the party senses it because everyone says, I don't know what's going over there, but don't go near them. And we've all witnessed that. And in some sense, that was the, the feeling that I wanted to capture. Welcome to Behind the Podcast. This is Anthony running solo this week. Jules is on hiatus. This episode, we talk to the professional storyteller, Beth Armstrong. Beth is the creator of the important podcast, Curveball. Curveball was the winner of the Best Wellbeing Podcast at the Australian Podcast Awards. Beth. Tell us about Curveball. Hi, I'm Beth Armstrong and I do a podcast called Curveball, the club you didn't want to be part of. And I interview three women who speak anonymously and they speak together. So there's four of us talking and they're usually strangers and they meet on the night. We record at night, fairly late night, over wine. And the whole idea is tell it like it is. Black comedy is encouraged Um, The topics are usually taboo because it's like mm, curveballs in life, something that's come out of left field, whether it be uh, a stillbirth or maybe a positive one like midlife sexual awakening or um, suicide, something really confronting like that. So we sit together and we just talk about the highs, the lows, the misconceptions and maybe what you'd say to others who have just joined the club. And, yeah, it's been really enlightening experience doing this. Enlightening is an interesting word. How did you come up with the format? What was the idea? You-, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you've been at a party and I usually say, you know, it's a dud party and it's 11pm and you're thinking, I'm going to go, This is I don't know anyone and I'll just finish this champagne and I'm out of here. And then someone stands next to you and says, you know, hey, how are you? And you just don't feel like chit-chat. So you say something bold, I don't know, for some reason... Maybe you say something like, I just got a diagnosis today, actually, that I might have cancer. And they say, me too. And you both get this shiver at the back of your neck. And you end up talking and having a really frank, deep conversation. And everyone at the party senses it because everyone says, I don't know what's going over there, but don't go near them. And we've all witnessed that. And in some sense, that was the the feeling that I wanted to capture. And I've been in that situation a few times, partly because I am... I, I am an oversharer myself and and I've always been really curious about people. So the idea came because I had my curveball and we all have curveballs in life and and it is enlightening and because I have learned so much talking to people. Um, and what I was going to say in audience before was that even though it's women speaking and in some ways it's like women's secret business, I actually think men should listen to this, that people should listen to this. And I would love more male listeners. And I have thought in future I might do a men's curveball. It's just that women will open up extremely quickly to a stranger, particularly if they're in the same club. And if it's something taboo, there's something 
incredibly healing and magical about talking to someone who truly gets it. And if it is something that isn't discussed, for instance, we did one recently, which was women who are estranged from their mothers. And in some ways, that is very taboo because unlike some of those more... uh, challenging ones like suicide, which of course is very difficult to to talk about, something like estrangement is not really even in the papers or the magazines. It's not something we really hear about, but many people suffer it and there's a lot of judgment around it. So I felt in the room with those three women, it was so moving because I felt their connection happen and they weren't perhaps women that would normally meet it was, and I felt healing happen within that room, and I, it was really amazing to sit there, you know. And we always have a laugh as as well as many revelations. So I would encourage men to listen. The men that I have spoken to that have listened to it have said it's really opened their minds. I completely agree. It's opened my mind. The way people speak so candidly. It's really disarming, and it is like you said, a secret conversation um, of people who are people in the same club. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's what a beautiful way to describe it, and it is. It's people in the same club having a conversation that, and and feeling you've created this safe space, which I think I really want to get into later about how you do that. Yeah, well, um, it's funny because I, yeah, because sometimes people say to me when I'm looking for people, and people say, "Oh, I'm not in any clubs," you know, and I go, "No, no, I mean like um." It's you're not in the club. You just happen to be in this crappy club that you didn't want to be part of, where it might be that you lost a sibling when you were young or something like that. You're in that club. You've just never thought of it that way. And you perhaps haven't opened up to someone else who's had exact same experience. So, yeah, there is something. You're not alone. That's the underlying thing from that. And I guess it came from, and perhaps I couldn't have done it in the same way that I do if the curveball that came at me hadn't happened. So, you know, we get to a certain point in life, we think we know who we are, as I did. I had a baby. Um, shortly after my baby was born, I, I, I became very unwell and had postpartum psychosis. So I ended up being um, scheduled into a mental health facility. Now, I would never have imagined that that could happen to me. I I present well, I'm high functioning, as they kept saying. This sort of thing only happens to other people. Right. And so my journey through that was realising, you know what, there are no other people, there's just people and shit happens to them and it can knock you over, but somehow we get up again. And, and the thing that I've learned from talking to these people is that sometimes they present very well, they look great. You might imagine, what's that person got to complain about? Then you hear their story. I am constantly flawed. I am thinking, how are they standing? I have never been through anything as difficult as that. And yet here they are, strong, articulate, funny, interesting, not undamaged, but surviving. And in that sense, I think it's incredibly powerful um, for me to listen to. So the reason that it came about was I... I wanted to speak to other people who truly understood my experience and it was very difficult to find. So I went searching on on the internet, on, on Google, and I found lots of medical descriptions. I found a few people's written assessments, but they tended to be dry. They tended to be a little bit more, I became unwell, I spent this amount of time in a facility. I wanted to know things like, you know, did you get constipated? Did Mm. you cry at night? Did you think I 
I, I don't want to go on. Did you, when was the first time you laughed? I wanted to ask all those really excruciatingly embarrassing, awful questions that only someone who'd been through it would be able to share with me. And that's when I started to think, uh, and I, I had this idea of, and I asked this other woman that I knew in my neighbourhood who I, I had heard along the grapevine because, of course, all these things are very shameful that something like that might have happened to her. And she was a very outgoing person. I didn't know her very well. And I asked her, would she come over to my house? I had this idea and her and I could talk about our experiences. Now, as it turned out, she had had quite a similar experience to me. And we pretended someone else was there. And I remember saying to her, what was your lowest point or something? And she answered. And then I told her my lowest point. And then she went, oh, my God, my answer was such bullshit. Now that you've said that, that makes me really realise what my lowest point was. And and we, we laughed about it and she said a couple of extremely shocking things. But then it felt me, made me feel free to say, and I didn't judge her because I understood and she didn't feel judged. And in that moment I thought, oh, I think there's something here because it wasn't just about... And I really don't think it would work if I just interviewed one of them. I probably wouldn't get people... One-on-one doesn't work, does it? No, in the same way. I think there's something great. And I always say to them at the beginning, you know, sometimes I am in the club because we all have clubs. So I will say that, hey, I'm in your club. And then I feel a little bit more of a right to sort of join in sometimes. But other times I say, look, I'm not in your club. I'm sorry. What's happened to you? hasn't happened to me. So I'm not an expert. I haven't done any research. I'm just going to ask you questions. If it's a crappy question that people tend to ask you and you hate, you have permission to say, that's a fucked question. I hope it's not a problem that I'm swearing. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, um, And also feel free to ask questions of each other. And then it really just becomes a conversation. And we haven't I haven't often asked them much at all. And so I find out in the moment and sometimes I am genuinely shocked and speechless and and sometimes I look to the other two women who aren't as shocked. Gotcha. And I feel I feel their understanding in the room and I feel I'm not alone in my uh, being at sea with not knowing what to ask next. Right. After that initial first conversation that you had, did you think this is a podcast or are you thinking other mediums? Because you do have experience in other mediums and you definitely seem to be a storyteller. <laughs> yeah. you tell us a little bit about that as well. Yes, you're, you'll gather I, I'm not short of a word, which is really funny because I listen on the podcast. Um, well, funny you should say that because I have written a film about my experience. So I am a writer and director. But did you think it was a podcast straight away? I did. I wanted to make it as a podcast. And I think it was literally, I think it was an ABC competition or something I heard. Someone sent me something saying, you should look at this. And it was due in a few days. And so that's why I asked that lady to come over to my house. I just had this idea and I threw something together and it wasn't shortlisted or anything. And, And I thought, I actually wanted to do this. It gave me the bug to want to do it. And I thought, I think this is a good idea. And so I contacted Luke, who I went to film school with and who had sound, he's a brilliant um, sound designer and has his own sound studio uh, and is very talented. And I, But I had worked with him on several films, short films and also commercials. And I said, I don't suppose by any chance you'd be interested in making a podcast, but I'm also thinking it's only interviewing three women. Um, 
would you be up for that? And he said, yeah. And I explained the idea and he said, I really like it. And so I said, let's just do it ourselves and not try and get like a company to support us. Let's just do it so that we can make it raw as it is. It's very raw and honest. And maybe in that sense, it was hard to get across to someone you were pitching it to the strength of being so raw. It allows you to go as well where where the story is and where the quality is as opposed to being beholden to another master. That's it. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's actually both because both of us were working in the film industry and both of us were kind of frustrated in some sense always being beholden to, you know, seeing creative ideas that were great that were then watered down for commercial reasons or for other people's reasons or too many cooks. And there was something that really appealed to us about, you know what, we're just going to do it and we're not going to answer to anyone. And in some ways that's, I think, the power of podcasts is that they are in a, in a sense independently produced and can have a very fresh voice because of that. Couldn't agree with you more. So when did you land on the format of the three guests, the wine, not time <laughs> records, all the important things, and well, the anonymity, it's really good. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Well, I always have this thing. That I, I've, I'm a little bit of a believer in like magic kind of happens. You know, you have an idea. So the, the late night thing came because I didn't want to impose upon his working studio. So I thought, let's do it at night. But as soon as we did it, it felt immediately right because when the women come in, you know, it's dark, everyone's, no one's around, it's a beautiful studio, but you know, we just sit on a lovely couch. It just doesn't feel like a, it doesn't feel that pressured because it is at night. It almost takes off that thing of they're doing something in the middle of their work day and they, they can put work behind them. And, and of course, not everybody drinks, <laughs> but there is something lovely about having a glass of wine. And I think it brings up that feeling, like you say, you're at a party. And that happened to me once. Um, I was on a work gig once with, with this woman and I met her and... Um, I don't know why I. it was kind of an inappropriate space for me to say something or she said something and we met and had this long conversation and I kind of knew I would never see her again um, and she told me this very um, hard story. I mean, a friend of mine said, oh, my God, why did you do that? Why? It's like you were a therapist. And, and I was like, oh, I just – I was genuinely open and interested to hear but I also knew we weren't going to see each other again. But I don't know, it's – I'm not a therapist and, and I did struggle with that because I thought I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a therapist. Do I have the right to be asking these people about very difficult quest subjects, these things? But in the end, I put it down. I'm not offering advice. I'm not. It's just someone telling their story. Mm, and mm. they have to be ready and want to do it, you know. So sometimes when I'm looking for people, I, you know, some of them are very hard. I say to someone when I was doing the stillbirth one, I said to mums at the school, I don't suppose you know anyone. And mm. people would say, oh, um, look, I do, but I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not comfortable asking them. I go, that's fine, that's fine, no, no problem. You know, so it, it's... It, people are frightened to broach these subjects yes. and it's made me realise and so was I in a way. Um, sometimes I was very nervous, particularly say the suicide one. When I when I met with those people, I thought, oh my God, you know, this is such an intense conversation. Um, how, what's my duty of care? Is this, is this appropriate for me to be doing this? And mm. I wrote to them all afterwards and asked them. Um, which was great, and they encouraged me to keep going and they suggested uh, a few things. Uh, it was great. So I've just given myself permission to do it. 
Look, it's such an interesting, I don't know if the right word for it is North Star, but the idea that you're saying it's late at night, you're meeting someone at a party, you don't really know them and you end up having this deep and meaningful conversation. But I think we've all been there. Um, I'm really fascinated to know how you set the safe space up that you've created for, for these conversations. But it does feel like you're able to do it by listening without judgment. And by doing that, that you don't need to be qualified. You don't need to be a therapist. But if you just listen without judgment and you've got three people who are in the same club, it's the perfect mix almost to ha- have is. these conversations. And it's kind of just happens because, yeah. I mean, I do have try and think of the dynamics of these women, but I haven't often met them, but I've talked to them and I, I just... Sometimes when I talk to them, I reveal something of myself. It puts you on an equal footing, something embarrassing or something revealing. Uh, so sometimes early on people would say, particularly when there was no podcast that existed uh, and you're t- asking them about maybe the most difficult thing that's ever happened to them and someone's put me onto them and I ring them mm. and they might say, so why are you doing this? Like that. And and I would think, absolutely, you have the right to ask that question. And I remember thinking, oh, you know, I can feel the import of this. So I have to be deeply honest mm. as to why. And so I would be. Um, I just try to be really honest. No sell, mm. no. But in the end, you're making something that is kind of entertainment. But, uh, you know, why? So people will realise that I'm not alone. So people, so people outside of the club might have more empathy for people within it, or know how to talk to people, or people coming into it will learn from you. And most mm. of them like the idea that if one person listens to this and it makes a difference to them, I'm I'm really glad I'm part of it. Some people say to me, oh, they were a little bit ambivalent, but afterwards we're all usually exhausted. There's something really exhausting about truly listening to someone and 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 revealing something to strangers but incredibly cathartic and you probably hear it at the end we tend to go oh well god that's <laughs> over now uh, luke always knows when we finish because he said the volume just goes up and i like guys who's what's some more wine and everyone's like oh, thank god thank god but then like they say to me oh yeah the next day i was so tired but oh i'm so glad that was so great and i think and it you know, it wasn't me. It was the other two women that they sat with is right. what made it great, you know. So then they're like, thanks for making the space, but I'm so glad I met those two women. You know, there's just something. That's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So how do you approach people? How do you, I mean, what's the ideation? Do you pick a subject, then do you find people, or do you find someone and then go, that's a subject, I want to find more people? How do you approach people? I want to know it all. (laughs) (laughs) I do pick a subject sometimes. There's one that interests me, or someone says, have you you thought about doing this? Oh, that's a good one, that's a good one. I mean, uh, a woman wrote to me yesterday and she's kind of in the club. She, some people suggest themselves, for or, or or have they have um, a friend has suggested them to me about for a particular club. In fact, many people that I speak to about a particular club, I end up interviewing them about a completely different club after I talk to them, because I'm telling them about it and I say, oh, you know, for instance, um, I've got one coming up on child abuse, a very difficult subject, but one of my favourite uh, recordings. Uh, so one of the women for that, um, I wanted to speak to her about uh, 
I knew that she was a lesbian and I was looking, I've got another one coming up, which is on later life lesbians. And so I was asking her about that and then I was telling her, you know, some of the, that's a really positive club, which is fun, but some of them, like child abuse, it's quite difficult. And she said, well, I'm in that club. Would you like to talk to me? And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that, but yes, you know, if you would, let's talk some more. So sometimes it just happens like that. And a few people have contacted me through the website, for instance, the diabetes one. Um, Most of the people I tend to interview are generally middle-aged or in their 30s, 40s, 50s. And why do you think that is? I think because we have more curveballs. Yes. You know, and I think, and I think, (laughs) it's going to sound arrogant, and I'm saying this a lot lately because I'm in the club, but, you know, I just think middle-aged women are where it's at. And I think, (laughs) (laughs) and I, I, I think it's because, you know, because... Look, we live in a patriarchal society. When you're young, you're trying to find yourself. You're not completely honest. You're not complete. You don't know who you are, so you're not completely comfortable in terms of talking deeply about yourself necessarily because you're still discovering it. Um, in your thirties, you're, you're trying to work your way into, I suppose, you know, you've got the biological clock. You've got all of that, and then I think women hit their forties and they sort of. St- you know, as someone says, um, they learn to give zero fucks. You know, they start to stop worrying about what other people think of themselves and they start to own their own power. At the same time, you're in middle life, so you're looking, you're still very much connected to your youth, but you're also seeing your parents' age and dealing with all of those curveballs. So I think they're a really wise group of people and I have been blown away by the wisdom in that room and it has made me realise, oh, my goodness, we do not hear the wisdom of women terribly often. It's not pervasive in society. We hear the wisdom of men. And the foolishness of men. And the foolishness of men. And we do hear women's voices but not in this way. I'm thinking women have so much to offer. It's funny because... You know, like when all the way we describe groups of women, oh, you sound like a bunch of girls, the squealing, the laughing, the giggling, the, oh, my God, women over a group of wine, it's sort of mocked as sort of shallow talk. And do you know what? The reality, of course, is exactly the opposite. When women get together, they will say, how's it going, you know, with I know your daughter's been ill. And we all know the story of the men will go, did you ask him how it's going? No, I it didn't. How could you have asked him? I've been seeing him for three months. I didn't ask him once, and you asked him. You know, it's that classic thing. Women they talked about the footy. <laughs> they talked about the footy, and yet women are mocked as sort of somehow shallow conversation. So the reality is, is I mean, of course, we can all have light conversation. We all have our guilty pleasures, and our, yeah, I mean, we all have light conversation. Com- yeah. Women aren't always having heavy conversations, but they are, they will more so than men in terms of um, get beyond polite conversation. You know. Um, yeah, I think a lot of and, – and, and that's part of the patriarchy too where it has trained men in a way to not ask those questions. It's a really interesting point uh, that you're making about women in their 40s. I mean, that's my age range and I've really seen some of my female friends just take off, really take off in their 40s. It's quite an interesting – it's a really interesting observation. I'll have to think about that some more. <laughs> so sometimes people come to me with suggestions and some people say, look, these are – when I talk to them on their phone about their one club – I find, oh, my goodness, you're actually in about eight clubs. 
Right. Right. Which one should I? Well, I, I you know, so, oh, well, ADHD, sex addict, that's kind of interesting. <laughs> Might take a while to find another one of them. Let me get back to you. Do you, you have know? repeat guests, ones who've come on for one club and maybe come back for another I club? I have. I have. That's a secret. I have, I have thought I would try not to do that, but um, I have a couple of times. They have been really good, articulate guests. They really want to speak on that subject. Um, they're very passionate about it and are ready to talk about it. And I've thought, all right, all right. Um, sometimes they say to them, look, I'll see if I... And so if I get two others and I think they're a good fit, yes, all right. But generally I think it would be better to have a new voice every time. But I have done that a couple of and times. And it would give them a chance to pick another alias? Yes, yes, which is so much fun. And the funny thing is I always say to people, um, okay, so the only homework you have is to choose your pseudonym. And then on the night I always go, what's your pseudonym? Oh, I haven't even thought about it. <laughs> and and uh, it's so funny. I always think, wasn't there a name you wanted to be when you were a kid? Sometimes people don't want to be anonymous uh, because maybe they've fought hard to talk about that subject and so they want to own it. But I do think there is something wonderful about the anonymity. And they have the right, if they choose, afterwards to say, this is me, I'm speaking as such. That's their choice. But I think it's good for the night to speak anonymously. Even me, I know I'm not anonymous and sometimes I'm, I'm urged to say something, but then I think, mm, I, I must be careful because what if someone I know hears that, blah, blah, whereas they can let that go. How do you start the conversation? How do you start the interview? Do you basically sit everyone in the room, go, hi, everyone, what's your alias, and then go? Or, uh, or do you warm them up a bit beforehand? No, there's very little warm-up just because of the way that it works. Sometimes people get there a little bit early, but usually I'm running around looking for for glasses and wine, and then they might sit and chat a little bit while I'm doing that. Okay. Um, so it sort of starts when the podcast starts, which is when you say, much. Beth, introduce yourself. Yeah, I have my preamble, which you've... I've given away to your audience, which is telling them about that party scene because we all get it. We've all seen that party scene. It's funny. We've never really thought about it. The energy that we all pick up on of something, a D&M, as we used to say when we were yeah, young, and yeah. deep and meaningful over in the corner, get away from that. <laughs> like who wants to go there? <laughs> like that's heavy over there. Um, you know, so, I, yeah, and I, I just think there's something wonderful about, yeah, an, an anonymity. And three. And the, the number three, you'll probably know this as a creative, it's kind of a magical number. Like if you think oh, every story is a beginning, middle and end, we have a first, second and third act structure. Three, there's something right about three. And Very I, true. Yeah. So it's, there's, if there was just two and me, because I'm, I'm not the club, I'm really not the storyteller. I just the facilitator, really, in that situation, which is unusual for me because I am a talker. I love to tell stories. And and a big learning curve for me uh, has actually been to truly listen because I write questions, but I think the last five I've not looked once at them. That's amazing. I just listen, but I have to listen very intently. Um, and if I hit, feel my mind wander, I have to listen because then I've got to ask what I'm genuinely curious to know. And that's where the, not doing research, which feels really guilty to say that, like not not knowing this story beforehand mm. is really helpful. So I just genuinely think, God, you know, how did you manage that? 
That's yeah, just my prompted question. You're the audience avatar, so you going in as a sort of an empty vessel as possible is the best scenario, I think, for this. Yeah, in a sense, yeah. because I don't know what that's like unless I'm in the club. And if I do, I'm, I mean, there was a couple of clubs I've been in and I've been bursting to join them. And that's usually at the end I do, oh, my God, I so wanted to join you guys. I so wanted to join you. And I feel an ownership about being there that I don't. I feel a more respectful distance if I'm not in the club. And you're recording at Luke's Studios, is that it's Unison Sound? Unison Sound, yeah. Is that Wes Chu as well as business partner? Yeah. Yeah, massive fan. <laughs> Those guys are Jedis. I mean, they're on, in terms of audio, their knowledge is, and their skills are just levels above what I know. Um, and I've had a couple of opportunities to work with them and it's just, they don't make it feel like they know so much more than you. But I know. it comes through in what they do. I know. Oh, that's fantastic. Luke's such a lovely, modest person, but he's actually an extraordinary talent, and I can't believe that I'm lucky to be working with him in this capacity. And you're recording in their studios? Yeah. So that's fantastic. That's a really nice, safe space as well, and it's also got a bit of grandeur. You're going on to the back lot. It and, is. It, uh, so it's kind of, that's very special. It, it is. It probably helped us initially when the podcast didn't exist and I'm just some random person ringing someone and asking them about something intensely personal and it's at Fox Studio, it probably gives it a little bit of, um, okay, so this is not too shonky. And not like coming in here. <laughs> <laughs> not, at all. not at all. But, you know, you can like a lot of people that are doing podcasts, and I feel like guilty in saying this, half of them are doing it at their kitchen table. True. You know, and, and maybe in a sense that would have worked for it because it would be in my house. And But there's something nice about it not being because it's not, about me, which is funny, which is why I feel really happy to promote it, even though I haven't done so much. But uh, because unlike most of my work, which is very tied up in who I am, in some ways this feels it's like it's one of the best things I've ever done. I, I truly feel like that. And it almost happened by accident. And I think it, it didn't come out of a sense of I want to make myself bigger or better mm. it just I, this is I think this is something I want to do and but you're creating something really important in my opinion I've learned so much about the empathy side of just from listening and understanding people's stories I think of what you're doing so important oh, in getting you. it out there to the world and there's something that feels really good about even if it's not working on something as virtuous what you are just about creating something and pushing it out into the universe I think is really it is it's and really important I think people who don't do it are missing out you know? yeah oh, I said to I, it's been a it's been a discovery. It's not like we knew that. In some ways, that's what was great about not having to jump through the hoops of an organisation approving us and giving their take. And, you know, there was a, a suggestion early on to try and sell it to, say, Amazon or one of those type of things. And I really resisted, even though I would have loved some financial support, because I was like, I don't want to be told, keep it under a half an hour. I, I just want it to let it be whatever it is. And it was really only after about recording four or five, you know, I, I think I rang Luke and I said, we, this is kind of really special what we're doing here. You know, this is, we're doing some good. But it wasn't like we knew that in a way up front. Yeah, well, look, the Australian Podcast Awards agreed. <laughs> yeah, which was which was so great because when I entered that, and, uh, when I entered that, we were new and we hadn't done much. We hadn't done any advertising, and so I was thinking, oh, you know, they probably won't even listen. You know, so I was really uh, thrilled that, to be recognised. And so, what's the process after you finish record? So you finish record, another glass of wine, energy goes up to the roof, and then everyone goes home. 
What's the editing process? Do you sit down with Luke or do you just hand that over and no, give it to is, the pros? Or? This is so strange because, you know, I'm a director and the editing when I direct like a commercial or um, particularly a film or something like that, you know, that's so much part of the directing is is editing. And I feel sort of guilty doing this because in some ways, admitting this, um, our editor, Tom Herdman, who is amazing, who lives in Germany. So what? it's all done in Germany. And, and in some ways I'm just there and deeply present and then I send it to to Tom and and it's because Tom had been working with Luke and then um, he had moved to Germany some time ago and because of the way the world works now, he can actually work from there for Luke still. And initially both Luke and I had thought it has to be a female editor. That's what we were thinking because these were women's stories it would, and that empathy, as you say, and understanding women, we just assumed it would be a female editor. And for whatever reason, Luke sent it to Tom and he said, you know, Tom's interested in your feedback and I just thought I don't feel like I need to listen to it again. It's great. Like everything that was important to me happened in the room it seems to be here right yet it's a lot shorter like he's 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 done it brilliantly he's highly talented and that i mean you can tell like conversations with richard feidler where it feels seamless it's very well edited tom does a similar thing we there he takes out all the you know, probably the, the awkward silences or the fluffed lines, those sorts of things. I don't know, but I know he's a real artist, I think, as well. And so I actually very rarely give him any notes. So he does really? the hard work. He does the hard work of listening to it again and again and again and cutting it down and cutting it down and, and also in some sense having a huge amount of directorial power because it's what is heard. But he takes the responsibility very seriously and he said he's changed as a person as have I and that he's learned so much and actually I only met him very recently over Zoom I had never met him and I said to him I'm because he listens to even the end bit where I chat on afterwards and often that's when I say outrageous things and reveal embarrassing things about myself and I and there was one the midlife sexual awakening one where I said to Luke can you cut the end off because I don't want Tom to hear that. I will never be able to meet that man. <laughs> and Luke laughed and said, sure, it'll be fine, sure, it'll be fine. I said, no, no, no. You know, I, I couldn't help myself. I wrote to Tom, you know, just checking. You didn't you didn't listen all the way through right past the end where I finished it. And, and I stupidly shouldn't have said that because, of course, he went and listened to it. And the only way that I knew he listened to it was he wrote back and said, <laughs> I'm so glad you have a love for French cinema. And I went, oh! I said, I said, you listen to it. I said, I could kill you. I can never meet you now. So last week when I finally met him for the first time, I was like, hello, Tom. You know way too much about me. But, um, yeah, he's, I trust him completely. Um, and there's been a few things like the one we did recently on domestic violence, there was just, I'm really, when the women say something that's visual, um, there was one little thing I said, you know, there was this great visual where she described that and that's not in there. And he was like, right. And so he put that back in. But that's only happened like a 
couple of times and there'd be a reason. And I always write to him sometimes and say, don't feel you have to keep my dribble in. And he said, your dribble will stay in if I think it has a, a place, <laughs> unless you really don't want me to put it in. But, you know, because in a way it was perfect that I'd never met him because he didn't have any sense of pleasing me either or, or, or any view of me. And he hasn't met the women. So in some ways I've met the women. Like I have their image in my head. Right. I see their physicality. I see how they present. Um, I'm with them on the night. I have an emotional connection to them. He doesn't, but he can hear that emotional connection. So he says, I put myself with the audience, what the audience need to hear. Sometimes they need to hear you interject or or not, you know, and so he's, he's... He's editing on merit as well. He's really yeah. good. He's yeah. really good. I mean, and, yeah, I mean, at one point, because it is costly, and at one point, you know, Luke and I discussed how we might minimise costs, and I was like, well, you know, I could try and edit it in a different way, and we were just like, no, no, it's just too important to do this right. It sounds like you've got the perfect setup. It is. Yeah, That's yeah, just yeah. magical. So tell us about Biddy Connor then. Oh, Biddy. <laughs> lovely Biddy. Uh, so Biddy was part of our trio at film school as well. So this is the Australian Film Television and Radio oh, School. Oh, this is Afters, the band. Yeah, so, and which is really lovely. And I'm sure Afters, who probably don't even know this, would be thrilled to know that three people from the same year, we worked on my film. So she was my composer and he, Luke was my sound designer. Luke's mo- moving more into producing. He's also a, a writer. And um, and Biddy's an incredible musician and and composer. So when I wanted some music for it, I contacted Biddy and and she's in a couple of clubs as well. We all are. <laughs> so she said, "Yeah, I definitely want to do it." So I commissioned her to do uh, some of the music for us. Oh, that's wonderful. It really yes. sort of elevates everything. Yes. Yeah. Oh, thank you for saying yeah. that. That's great. I'll, I'll, I'll let her know. That's really nice because you don't get feedback. And I'm surprised how little feedback I get. I would have expected, in a sense, more people to contact me, maybe just listeners who want to reach out, but mm-hmm. they, they don't very often. But I've seen a few reviews on Apple and things like that, and, and it's quite lovely when... They're all incredibly strong. Well, there was one, a great one from, oh, no, one woman did contact me. I don't know if she's listening. It was great because she said, oh, I stumbled across your podcast the other day and I really thought, oh, it's going to be cloying and sentimental. I sort of, oh, She said, but I lined up one subject that meant something to me, you know, and I know that people will come in for certain ones and maybe then listen to more. But she said, oh, I thought it was going to be cheesy and it was those women are amazing, 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 strong, kick-ass women. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I loved that because I loved that she wrote, I thought it was going to be crap, Um, but then said it was great. Um, So I thought that was – and then she said, I've lined up the rest to listen to them. Even though she's not in those clubs, she suddenly thought, I want to hear, yeah, about – other people's experiences. What do you know about your audience and how do you interact with them? Well, I know we're in 63 countries, um, but the majority in Australia. But it astounds me that, you know, I have three listeners in Kuwait (laughs) and two in Bhutan Mm. and, you know, 26 in Kenya. And you think, wow, how did they come across this? Like this obscure, which we are obscure, Australian podcast. And I think, oh, it doesn't give me shivers to, to, to say this, but, you know, hearing three Australian women say talk about termination, uh, a subject that in many countries is criminal even, and hearing them talk with passion and, and you know, love really, 
uh, how might it help that person who's listening in Saudi Arabia or in Spain? How might it help to hear those women talk so honestly? You know, and I'll never know, and those women will never know, but I'm sure that it is making an impact. Another thing that's very elegant is the name Curveball. How did you come up with that? Ah, uh, we went through a few. So, you know, you talk about, what was the name of Lee Sal's books? Any Ordinary Day. Yeah, so, you, yeah, but you think we all do, even though we know crap happens. <laughs> why didn't I say shit happens? Basically, think of Tony Abbott, that's why. But even, even when we're, you know, we're, we, we think we're on this life trajectory and we've just as, just as we think, oh, yeah, we're going, okay, this is the plan, something happens that throws you off and, you know, we're shocked. But... That's 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 life. So curveball, and then the club just kept just kept coming up with the club you didn't want to be part of. I always love that um, saying. You know, uh, was it Groucho Marx that said, I, "I don't want to belong to any club that would have me as a member." Yes. You know, or I I do. I can't remember what the saying is. Sorry, I think I've stuffed it. I think I've stuffed it up. But uh, yeah, <laughs> but it's that same sort of thing, you know. Because, and I remember uh, someone was slightly offended. I think when we put out the. Um, uh, mothers of transgender children, I think I saw on Facebook a transgender person said, you know, what the fuck, you know, because it was the club you didn't want to be part of. But but I wasn't, but it wasn't, I wouldn't, um, actually someone suggested trans um, people, but I said, well, no, because that isn't a curveball, that's just who they are. Yes. Right? But for the mothers, it is a curveball because, you know, no one, uh, it's like whatever you deal with with your child, uh, you, you didn't see that coming. Yes. So it's about how they managed it. And and I think someone actually responded to that person and said, oh, I don't think that's what she's saying. If you have a look at the other podcast, that's the name of all Go the a little episodes. Deeper. Yeah. 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 <laughs> they hadn't obviously listened to it. But, yeah, at the time I was like, oh. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, and that was the thing because also Luke and I said we've got to have a – you know, because people, mm, someone said to me, why don't you do this and this? And I was like, yeah, but they're not curveballs. I think I just thought we've got to have some uh, focus of the podcast. And mm. so I just decided to be, I suppose, because of my own experience, I was so shocked by having that curveball come at me that I just didn't see coming. And th- they keep coming. You know, I want to do one on um, Alzheimer's. You know, my dad's got Alzheimer's. Uh, many people are in that club and then there are people that have recently been diagnosed in that club you know how do you how do you cope with that so i uh, there's just so many i think it's a perfect name nailed it which is not easy <laughs> too so what we like to usually finish up is a some advice that you'd be giving to anyone who wanting to start a podcast ah uh, well look the world's your oyster just do it like I said, I'm kind of outrageous in that I'm doing it with really professional people, which is great, <laughs> and, um, and conning them into doing it. But I had a history with them, which helps. Um, and they'll be in the film, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when I'm wealthy, you know, they'll come knocking. Yeah, I just, I think if you've got an idea and you can express it clearly and someone else is interested when you tell them about it, then you've probably got something. But I think it is very hard to cut through. Um, I've been on Clubhouse recently and there is like 50,000 people on one of the podcast club discussion groups and I think all of those 50,000 probably have a podcast. So there is just so much out there. So in terms of uh, I suppose if you've got an idea, look for that idea. 
and see if it's already there and if you've got an original take on it. But, you know, like anything, just do it. Yeah, agree. Couldn't agree more. Just get out there. Get the mic. Hit record. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Some, some, hopefully yeah. someone other than your mother wants to listen to it. That's <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> and you'll soon find out, you know, like your listeners, then, you know. Apparently, because we're on Buzzsprout, apparently lots of people never get past, say, five episodes. So I think sometimes it's a good idea to have a – a plan as to what you want to do and maybe do a little bit of research because I think sometimes people go out with something, say, daily or weekly and they ha- it, it, it's a big time sucker. You end up spending a lot of time and if you've got a full-time job or if you have, haven't got an idea that's got legs... Like this idea in itself has revealed itself to us because I remember someone saying to me, oh, you've hit all your big topics in your first, first, you know, eight episodes. What are you going to do? But I just keep thinking there's endless amounts of things we well. can do. I feel, you know, like I did Estrange from Mothers. I also want to do Estrangement from other family members because and I think the more niche the club in some ways, the more profound. Yes. Um, so, but that's just something that's revealed itself to me. So, for people starting a podcast, I think be be clear on what it is that you that you really hope to do. Like the, your real, what it is that's driving you. And if that's if that's got legs, it'll happen. Great advice. And any podcasts that you're listening to or would recommend? It's not very cool of me because they've been around a long time. But like on the way over here, I was listening to Modern Love because I just love those stories, those New York Times modern love stories. I just love them. Um, you know, I, A, they're often beautifully written. Um, obviously, they go, they're inundated with stories, so they really pick... Pick the good ones. Pick the good mm. ones. So it's really great material. So I find that... And, and, and often they're actually about grief, interestingly enough, hearing them talk about what comes at them because I suppose that's what people are compelled to write about. Um, but... But I actually want to do one. Um, I'm giving it away here. Maybe some of your listeners will contact me. But one of the clubs that I would love to do is people who have given up on love and have found themselves in love. So I'm imagining people perhaps in their 60s, 70s who have, or any age really, but I'm imagining older, but who have gone, that's it, I'm just going to be single and I accept that and then find themselves in love. And I'd love to put three people in the room or in that situation and really examine the highs and lows of that because there is vulnerability in that and fear and a big shift in identity if you've decided you're happy solo. (laughs) Letting go. Letting go and then so, but how I find that, I don't know. So if anyone out there is is in that club, please get in touch. Oh, no. We'll put your details in there. That's how I met my wife. But a lot younger, I just gave up. I went, nah, I'm not going to find anyone. Let's just get get on with life. Uh, Honestly, that Saturday night I met her. Oh. That's weird. So I'm sure there's thousands of people out there. I love that story. Um, The other one I listened to is The Moth, which is, once again, very well known. And I've done a few myself. 
Oh, no problem Confession. playing the hits here. Confession. You've done a few, have you? Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. No, I've done five stories for the moth, I think. Um, and uh, I did the Grand Slam, actually, at the Metro, wow. which was great. Uh, this is going to sound cheesy for when I won that one. But but that was telling my hard story. See, that's going to be my film. So in a way, that was good because I wanted to see if it had traction with the audience. And by telling it in a nutshell was a really interesting thing for me to do because that was the film that I had written. Does it work as a five-minute story? You know, can I can I give it impact? So it was a really interesting challenge for me to do that. But I love listening to them because it's ordinary, real people getting up and telling a story, in a sense, a curveball um, that's happened to them. And I, I love that. It just all comes back to storytelling, really. Well, you really are the consummate storyteller. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, no one, you know, it's a tough, gr- bloody industry, this industry, and it's really hard to cut through. So I've just gone, you know what, I'm just going to do what interests me. And that's part of being my middle-aged sass. I've gone, I give up trying to fit the system. I've been trying to fit the system for a long time and it's really hard to, to find traction. But now I'm just going to do what interests me. And, you know, and that's where this podcast came from. It's some of the most, one of the most authentic things I've done because it came out of experience and I thought, I think I want to hear about this. And it didn't sell to anyone, but by making it, it's it's slowly getting its audience. And I think if we get support, it, the audience could grow. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming in and taking the time. Please check out Curveball. It's not cheesy. It's incredible. And it still does have, and I don't know if it's come across, I'm sure it's come across in this conversation, it's still got that little bit of humour as well that you definitely bring in and that sass as well. It has got, yeah. it has got laughs. I mean, sometimes it surprises me. You yeah. think, hey, where could the laughs be with that subject? But they are yeah. there. I will just quickly say there is another curveball in Australia that was recently started. And so when you search for it, um, you need to put curveball the club to, to get my one. Lovely. And we'll put the uh, episode, or we'll put your moths in uh, your moths in the links as well. Oh, no, you don't need to do that. Well, I want to hear them. You've got to send them to me. <laughs> oh, no. I shouldn't have mentioned it. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs>